But, you know, I, I believe that authenticity will always gain an audience. And it doesn't mean you can be brutally transparent, brutally in your face and say, well, this is just how I feel. What I mean by that is you be yourself. I mean, be yourself. Welcome to Culture Coach, a podcast with me, Nikki Lerner, helping you to engage in a proactive movement towards unity and understanding as it relates to culture and come from. Thanks for joining me today. You ready to go? Let's get started. Hey, thanks again so much for listening. You know, I wanted to create a space each week where you and I can learn about different cultures and come froms in a safe, non-threatening, non-embarrassing environment. I hope you enjoy this podcast. For more creative resources and ideas, you can engage with me at NikkiLearner.com. Well, Dave Michener, affectionately known as Mitch, how are you today? I'm great, Nick. Affectionately known as Nicky Nick. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, um, gosh, that I was just telling somebody else that I was talking to today. I think I'm almost getting close to the point where I've known you almost half my life. I think I'm not that old. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, probably. I was just that young. <laughs> I think I think we met in was it ninety nine or ninety eight? Probably, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Hmm? that's nineteen. Yeah. Yeah, so we're getting there. Yeah. That's right, 1990. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, so that's really fun that we have walked a lot of life together yeah. um, and have seen each other in different versions of ourselves <laughs> along the way. And so um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that um, history um, and the future that we have together. So uh, thanks for that. So why don't you introduce yourself however you would like to oh boy. Uh, to the people sure. that are listening. Sure, sure. My name is Dave Michener and I am a husband and father. That's, I'm really passionate about that. Uh, I do my best to follow Jesus and then I try to help people maximize their potential in their context. And for me, for many years, uh, really since 1998, I've been doing that in the context of Bridgeway Community Church, which is a multicultural church. So I have one wife. We've been married uh, like 36 years in a row to each other. <laughs> and um, we always wanted two sons. Uh, we have three. And um, they're adults, uh, 31, 20, is this a test? 29 and 25. Excellent. And, um, yep. And a couple uh, daughters-in-law, granddaughters. So my life is full between my family, my friends, and my church, and I love it. You could do a uh, a reboot of Full House. Yeah, especially um, last week they were all here all oh, at once. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I put myself in 14-minute quarantines <laughs> a couple times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's cool. Well, so let's just jump in here now, and I want to ask you – essentially want to get some context about how you either you grew up things that you remember as a kid or even just your time um even if it was in your ministry work in ohio what are some of the things that you remember um that have uh, that were parts of shaping sure or cultural thought 
um, into sort of the person you are now. Tell us about the history. Yeah, sure, sure. I was born and raised in the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, didn't really have a lot of interaction at all with people of other race. Um, we did venture into the city from time to time, and then there was another town, uh, one over from us, that had some African-American people in it. But as a child, um, didn't have a whole lot of interaction. However, um, and Nick, you've heard this story before, but I was just a real little guy. And my mom had, was at the grocery store and had me in the grocery cart. And there was a gentleman um, who was black skinned. And I yelled out to him, pointing my finger and, and yelled, hey, mom, look, there's a, and I said the N word. Mm. Not once, not twice, but three times. Or, hey, look, there's a, it'd be like, hey, look, mom, there's a puppy, puppy, puppy. And I said it really loud, except, yeah. Yes. So here's the deal. I don't remember that at all. Um, mm -hmm. My mom tells me I was an early talker. Big surprise, right, Nick? Um, right. She said that uh, there was a, a TV show that used to say, I see all you two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds out there. And I'd say, hey, mom, how come she didn't say 18-month-olds? You know, so I was an early talker. And specific. <laughs> yes, very specific, very specific, precise. So all, I share that story um, because I grew up in a, a in a family that was loving, kind, caring, generous. But I learned that from somewhere. I learned that racial slur, the the granddaddy of them all, you know, from somewhere. Mm. So so that's part of, of who who I was when I was younger, right? And then as I progressed into high school. Um, you know, still pretty much middle-class white lifestyle, but I began to see um, things in my mind um, didn't make sense. I was very active in a church, a great church, um, but I would see, you know, that we would support these missionaries who would go all over the globe, and I was intrigued by the different cultures from a very early age. You know, a lot of people would say, I remember even having a conversation, a lot of people would say, man, that's great that we can send her over there or him over there. And I'm like, I want to go, you know, that, that was just me from a very young age. And then yeah. also having an angst in me um, about hearing the jokes and the racial slurs um, with the people that was around me. It didn't make sense. If God loved everybody, you know, and they, we all came from the same person, like, what's the deal here? It seems like a more than a dichotomy, but a hypocrisy. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm an old soul, even when I was a young kid. And so this kind of stuff didn't make sense. So, so I ventured off to college and I went to Bible college because I wanted to be a youth pastor, you know, for my entire life, you know, and so I ventured out and it was a small school out in Pennsylvania, about a thousand students and at least 99% of the student population, at least 99, was all Caucasian. Mm. However, um, I developed friendships with the few that were non-white. In fact, uh, lived in the dorm with a couple brothers from DC, um, and then I had a Filipino buddy and a Puerto Rican uh, teammate on the soccer team and a Haitian friend, and you know, and so, I started seeing the world more from their eyes as I began to listen, you know, and, and hear of their pain. Can I ask sure. you a question about that? Um, because I think that for many of us, sometimes that's, that's the issue that we struggle with is 
the idea of that blind spot of um, in many ways thinking that you're doing well by someone mm -hmm. or uh, enacting something that um, you think is being helpful, but in the process is not and can be actually very hurtful. Are there one or two things that stick out to you, even in your work or when you were at college, that could, could potentially be a blind spot that someone might not realize, and maybe they're trying to help, but might be sort of keeping people out unintentionally? Yeah, yeah. I think a, a couple of <laughs> things uh, come to my mind. Um, one is I think it's really important to be friendly to everyone. Um, the, the Bible says, uh, a proverb says, you know, if you want to have friends, you should be friendly, right? But there's a difference between being friendly and being over familiar. And so if, I, if I'm trying to build a bridge to someone who's different than me, I need to, you know, not build a dock, you know, but a bridge, you know, and sometimes if you're over familiar too fast, you have, you don't have relationships. It's like, you don't know me like that. You know, why are you in my space? Why are you, you doing that? And so I think there's also a difference between um, being intentional and then trying too hard. Being mm -hmm. intentional is being purposeful. Mm -hmm. Trying too hard is almost like posing, right? Yeah. And, I mean, there's a lot there. We could talk about those two things forever. As a leader, you're talking at the leadership level. If we're not intentional as leaders, yeah. our organizations, our churches, our nonprofits, our families, even, mm -hmm. um, will, the needle will always go to where we're comfortable. And, and where we're comfortable is what we're used to. And what we're used to is people like us, right? Yes. And so there has to be intentionality. Um, I, I remember when I came to Bridgeway Community Church, our senior pastor, Dr. David Anderson, who's world-renowned, you know, author, speaks on race. Uh, we were uh, in graduate school together. We were, became fast friends and buddies. And he said, can you come out and help me with this little multicultural church out in the D.C. area? And I he said, you can work with our students, our, our middle and high school students. And I said, listen, man, I, I, I have a heart for people of other cultures. I spent a summer in the Philippines, which was a game changer for me in my worldview and, and shaped me a lot. That was another marker for me. But I said, um, I've never done multicultural ministry before. And he said, well, either have we, so we're figuring out together. But my best advice to you, Mitch, is be yourself. Mm. be yourself. Now, obviously it should be the best version of myself. Right. But you know, I, I believe you, that authenticity will always gain an audience. Mm. Um, and it doesn't mean you can be brutally transparent, brutally in your face and say, well, this is just how I feel. What I mean by that is you be yourself. I mean, be yourself. So, um, yeah, you, you, I can't show up and be somebody I'm not. Now, do I like things of other cultures? Are they part of my life? Absolutely. What's really interesting about that is that when they're actually part of your life, even though they weren't part of your culture growing up, they actually look like they fit you. It may, makes me think of how I coach my singers. And when I coach singers, one of the things that I tell them is, look, it's so important to find your own voice because if all you're doing is trying to find 
you know, five songs by one artist and say, well, if I could just sound like that artist, well, then everything's great. Well, it's like you're, you're stealing the identity of somebody else, right? right? And if it, A, if you're trying to just do that and be a bad copy, that nobody needs that. Like the world doesn't need more of that, right? The second thing is, is that the whole point of anybody even coming to listen to you, even in the context of a singer mm-hmm. um, or even a speaker being live is we get you. We can't get that anywhere else. Like you might as well just, you know, turn on another podcast or watch a YouTube video of some other person talking about culture or whatever, right? You might as well just do that if you're not just going to be yourself. So there is great power in just being able to share who you are. You know, along those lines, I feel very strongly about what I'm going to say. I don't think you can be a multicultural leader and until you're a multicultural like human being. Mm-hmm. And so while we have to be intentional, um, because we might not have people that are that different from us in our spheres, right? We may have to break out of our bubble. We may have to break out of our current cultural situation. You know, while we, we may have to do that, but when we do that, it shouldn't be simply, simply so that you can learn. I mean, I think we should learn maybe I'm overstating it. I guess what I'm trying to say is the most, for me, my multicultural leadership effectiveness and those around me that I see multiculturally effective are people who actually have relationships with other people, not simply, you know what, I'm going to scratch that. Not simply relationships, friendships. Yes. Friendships um, with them. Like, so it's not enough to just sit down and, and drink coffee. Don't get me wrong. That's a place, right? Or sip some wine or whatever, right? That's a place. That's good. That's part of it. But have you been there for the birthday party? Have you been there at the funeral? Have you been at the hospital? Did you ever take a road trip with a white dude and his family and go stay in the Cleveland area? <laughs> How to yes. Okay, right? <laughs> So so those kind of things I think are really important. Um, And so I think sometimes leaders will say, I want to be multicultural. I want to be multicultural. I'm going to start a multicultural company. I'm going to start a multicultural ministry, but you don't have any, you don't have any relationships, first of all. And then second of all, they're not deep. They're not deep because one of the things we're going to learn about being a multicultural leader is we're not going to get it right all the time. Yeah. You know, we, we are going to mess up sometimes because we're human. And so you got to have enough relationship um, credibility, right. um, enough relationship love, enough relationship, um, basically a couple passes in there to be able to process that together and then not just walk away. But, yeah. you know, how do we grow from it? What are um, one or two sacrifices that you feel like you have made, whether those things were hard or joyfully, (laughs) either one, in your multicultural work or your life, either one, um, what are the sacrifices that you've made, particularly uh, as a white American male? Wow. No one has ever asked me that before in all these years, but I've (laughs) thought of it. Okay, do tell. I have. I thought of it. Well, it, it came at different, 
different levels at different times. And I guess initially we moved out to the DC area. I was living in my hometown as an adult with a two kids, two little boys, you know, three miles from my parents' house in my hometown. And I realized that what I was about to do was going to change my family's life forever. I'm, I'm not only walking away from the security that we had, but we were venturing into a new church that actually was not, um, couldn't, couldn't afford me, couldn't afford to pay for my, my salary and that kind of thing because the vision was so, so strong in me. I had to follow the call and not the cash, right? Mm. But I also knew we were separating from our family and our support network. Um, so there, there was that, but it was also that when I was going to hang out with my friends, it might not be my natural choice or first choice of, you know, what I'm going to turn on the radio. Um, it might be that, you know what, tonight we're going to go out for dinner and it's not going to be, you know, hamburgers. It's going to be something different. And, and to my sons, boys, you're going to eat it. You're going to, and you're going to like it, you know, right. <laughs> And so um, there was that, I guess, a bit of a sacrifice. I don't consider those things sacrifices anymore. Sure. You know, I was still, I was young in my journey and, you know, I was younger with my family. That was over 20 years ago, right? I, I don't think um, I'm, I'm making sacrifices now. Um, but what, what maybe has been different is... My, 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 my voice with the people in my past, um, when they look at me, I'm just being super transparent right now. They might think, oh, there's the guy who, there's oh, the guy who loves black people and mm-hmm. Hispanic people, you know, right. not so sure what he thinks about, about us anymore, you know, yeah. I'm referring to my race. I remember we had a family member ask us, so let me get this straight. You're moving out to the DC area. This was a couple years into it. You moved out and you're around people of all different cultures. And we're like, yeah. He's like, why in the world would you mm. ever want to do that? You know, and so there's nothing really tangible. It's just sometimes, you know, a few, you know, the looks or the shake in the head. Now, I will say this my family has grown a million miles as have we, you know, in this journey, you know, much of my family and um, we're not perfect, but they've progressed on that continuum. So I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a deep question. I wasn't really prepared for you. That's a great question to ask. Um, (laughs) I might backtrack on some of it, but I remember early on saying, you know what, this might cost me something and I'm willing to pay the cost. Yeah. It's been so worth it. Yeah. Once you once you go multicultural, you never go back. That's right. That's so true. When when you do it intentionally and you do it well and you do it long and you have actual friendships, man, I tell you what, it's so rich. It's so yeah. worth it. You know, yeah. it's not like I don't need those stinking friends anymore. It's not like that. In fact, that that's how we become bridges because they they in some ways they they want to hitchhike, you know, with me. Yeah. You know. And, you know, I, I used to not let them. I let them a little bit now. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. like, come on over. Yeah. And, you know, um, recently 
my, I had two sons get married within 77 days of each other. So my family was together a lot from all over the country, right? And yes. we had a big party on my patio. Yeah. And, and um, some of my family members came, like I said, from all over the country and they met people in my networks. And like, even at the reception, they were, they were, it looked like the United Nations, right? Yes. It was, except it was a party. I've never seen a party at the United Nations, right? right. It was just a lot of love in the room. Yeah. And I remember um, some of my family members having conversations with people that were in my network, not only um, about the occasion and the wedding, but about business, about politics, mm. um, about uh, family matters. And then when the dust settled, you know, and you finally go after an event like that and you're sitting down talking, um, many of them said, you know, you just have an amazing group of friends. I've learned so much. Now, if I didn't bring my worlds together, that that never would have happened, you know, and so that begins to change other people's perspectives. Yeah, that's so good. As you continue as a person who builds bridges um, as you are, I, I would term you a culture coach for sure. Um, as you are leaning into culture coaching, sharing who you are, as well as helping people around you uh, to help understand other cultures, where is an area or areas that you still feel like you struggle? If I'm going to be really honest, you know, yes, with my please. church, with my church folks and my family and my friends, man, I will take a bullet for you. I will go to bat for you. I've got your back. But sometimes I don't know what my, where my, and, and I know where my voice is with thousands of people. I have a, I am blessed to have exposure to thousands of people in my network. Um, but be, when you start going to the next layer out beyond that, I'm not so sure always what to say. Um, or how I will be interpreted. Um, Cause there's a lot of static out there. There's a lot of negative chatter out there. There's a lot of, and so as a bridge builder, I wanna make sure I um, keep the communication open. And so I'm not always sure when I should speak up and not speak up. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's fear-based, like I don't wanna jeopardize, um, my relationships, and, and it's not usually with people of color. It's like, I might be the only voice, you know, do I really want to have them mute me? Right. Because, you know, because another thing I find, and this sometimes irritates me, just a little sidebar here, all right, is that, and I, I can relate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a little bit. I can relate. I've heard my friends of color say, you know what? dude, you get to be white all by yourself. You don't have to represent your race. And, you know, I got to represent my race, you know, when I make my decisions. You've heard people say that. You've probably felt the pressures of that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I feel the pressures of representing other races because they'll come to me and say, so, Mitch, what do you think black people think about such and such? (laughs) I go, let me speak for all black people now, right? Let me just tell you right now, if that was your podcast, I would listen every day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I speak for the world. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, seriously. And I'll say, well, um, do you have any people that you could ask? Because I can tell you what 
two of my friends said, and I can tell you what two of my other friends said, which was the exact opposite. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so it, I guess it's just in growing, you know, um, room to grow. And I, I'll tell you another thing too about that. And I haven't grown weary, but sometimes you just get a little bit tired. Yeah. And so if you're not careful, you'll, you'll just put it on autopilot cruise control. Mm -hmm. right? And so we can't do that. Right. As, as multicultural leaders, we can't do that ever, right. ever. Um, for, for a couple of reasons, there's always people coming into our organizations that don't have all that history, don't have all that teaching, don't have all that context, have never been in a safe place to ask questions. And so we have to keep making sure that we have, we create an environment as leaders where people can ask those questions in safety without judgment, um, to be able to process, um, to be able to be pushed back on without it destroying the relationship. So there's that aspect because you have new people come in, coming in who are adults and they're bringing their bags with them. But we also have a younger generation, right? That views things differently. And so as like, like on our team at, at Bridgeway Community Church, we have a, a number of interns and residents who are younger. I mean, very young, basically Gen Z as well. And so we want to listen to them um, and we want to um, also include them in, in the reasoning as to why we make certain choices and considerations, because we want them to not only be bridge builders multiculturally, we want them to be bridge builders multiculturally and multi-generationally. So that, that's another whole podcast, I'm sure. Oh, totally. Um, well, that was awesome. Mitch, thank you so much. Oh, for sharing all of that. And I know that even today, and this is just with regards to culture, this is literally the tip of the tip of the tip yeah. of the tip of the iceberg of what you know, what oh. you can share, and um, just the life journey that you have had. Um, you are one of the wisest people I know um, with one of the uh, largest expansive life experience. <laughs> Um, just across so many different things. And so um, hopefully this is just the first of many times to have you share your wisdom uh, with other people as we keep, you know, just every, everybody keeps journeying along. So um, I just want to bless you for um, all of the sacrifices you decided to make uh, back in the day to come out and follow God's call in your life to do multicultural work and multicultural ministry when it wasn't cool and it wasn't sexy um, and it wasn't like the word of the day, you know, um, with no promises, just the fact that you knew you were supposed to respond. So um, I bless you for that. And um, thank you that my life is so much different because of who you are and the good work that you do. Um, so thank you for that. Well, you're so kind. Your your words aren't taken lightly. I'm not sure um, I expected all that either. So you're welcome. I like yeah. to keep you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You do a good job of it. All right, Nick. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for making the time to listen. If you like the insight today, tell your friends and be part of the newsletter at NikkiLearner.com. Remember, it takes that first decision to realize your vision for a more generous, multicultural life. I'll see you next week.